God is the God who was and is and is to come. That is reminded to us in the book of Revelation, the changelessness of God. In the letter of James, from which we read this morning, a little later in this book, we hear him remind us of how God is changeless, in whom there is no shadow, James writes. So what do we do when we encounter the gospel that we've read today, when God, in Christ, changes his mind? It might seem like a foreign concept, but we actually see God change his mind several times, many times, in Scripture. I'm reminded of a couple of illustrations that you might remember as well. Back in the book of Genesis, in the 18th chapter, Abraham is talking with God, and they're talking about the city of Sodom, And God has decided that he will abolish the city of Sodom because of the evil there. And Abraham says to God, what if there are 50 righteous people in Sodom? Will you destroy the whole city even if there are 50 righteous? Will the righteous perish with the evil? And God says, if there are 50 righteous in Sodom, I will spare the city. And Abraham says, well, what if there are five less than 50? What if there are 45? Will you spare the city of Sodom for 45 righteous? And God says, yes, I will spare the city of Sodom if there are 45 righteous. And as you read this in the 18th chapter of Genesis, Abraham becomes tentatively bold And he says, forgive me for even asking, but what if there are 40? Again, God says, yes, if there are 40. And Abraham says, what about 30? God says, yes, if there are 30. And Abraham says, 20? God says, yes, if there are 20. And Abraham pushes one more time and says, what if there are just 10? And God says, yes, if there are ten righteous, I will spare the city. God seems to change in this dialogue with Abraham. We know, though, that the story ends with Sodom being destroyed. Who knows, were there only nine? Or were there really zero? In this 18th chapter of Genesis, we see God in dialogue with one of his people. But that's not the only place. I'm reminded also in the story of Moses when he goes up to the mountain to be with God. He's up there a very, very long time. What seems like forever. Forty days, it says in the scriptures. And he is communing with God, Moses is. And he receives the Ten Commandments. And as he prepares to head down the mountain after this lengthy time, it becomes evident to him that the people have built 
a golden calf. They pooled all of their gold together and molded a statue and are following, going around it in circles, chanting. And God is furious. I'm actually not sure furious is a big enough word. You'd have to add livid, irate, put all of the extremes of anger together to know how God is expressed in this story. And God says, you know what? I'm done with them. (laughs) I'm going to wipe them out. I took them out of Egypt. They were slaves. I told them I will take them to the promised land. When they were pursued by Pharaoh's army, I saved them. I brought them into this place of transition and have fed them every day what they've needed. And now they go and do this. Build a golden calf. And God says, that's it. I'm wiping them all out. But Moses says to God, uh, could we talk? Why don't you spare them? Because he reminds God, it won't look good. If word gets back to Egypt that this God, this living God, who promised to take them out of slavery, actually ends up killing them in the wilderness, it just is not going to reflect who it is you're trying to convey. And so Moses asks to be put in charge of their consequence. And God says, okay, all right, you can punish them. And Moses does. God changed his mind. What do we do with that? Because our gospel looks the same way. Here it is, a woman comes to Jesus. He is exhausted. He has gotten this certain level of fame and people are finding him. Even when he goes away to rest, people find him. This is so evident when you hear the Gospel of Mark read in totality. And we will do that again sometime this fall. But you hear Jesus trying, you you see him trying to get away for a time of rest, a time of rest, and people keep finding him. He can't get a break. And here he is trying to do the same. And this woman, who is not one of God's chosen people, finds him. And now she's asking for a miracle too. I have a sense that Jesus felt like most famous people feel, that everybody wants something from them. Why wouldn't you help me? You help them, and I'm in a desperate state, at least as desperate as they are. And so she comes to Jesus with this request. I imagine that Jesus felt like most famous people feel, that they're often used for the benefit of the person who's making the request. And so he dismisses her. But she reminds him of who she is and recognizes how little she needs. And he changes his mind. 
How is it that God can be changeless? The same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And yet we see in Scripture that God changes God's mind. I believe that it's because God wants to be in relationship with God's creation. And that is the part that has never changed. It is constant. We see God in the garden, in creation, walking among it, among all that's been made, wanting to commune with the first man and the first woman. We see God in the aftermath of the flood when the waters have receded, and God says, I will never do that again. We see it in John's Gospel when we hear that God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him may not perish. Indeed, it says, he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God wants to be in relationship with God's creation. It has always been that way, and it will always be that way. And so what happens to us when God calls us into relationship? How is it that we change? Maybe the change happens in that we realize we want to be in relationship with God. More than anything, we want to be in relationship with God. There is the good news of our gospel lesson today that God wants to be in relationship with God's creation, each and every one of us. And we are invited to be in relationship with God, not to use God for our gain, not to see God as a super Santa or some sugar daddy who can give us all that we long for, but one who loves us so deeply and has gone through such great lengths to demonstrate that love to us. One who does this throughout your days, in your waking and in your sleeping, whispers to you, reaches out to you, in order that you might see that God is present with you always. We say, the Lord be with you. But what we are saying in that, and it's limited by language, is that the Lord is with you. God is with you. God will be with you. God was with you. This is the good news. This is the good news known in Jesus. And it is the good news known in the promise of the Holy Spirit that God longs to be in relationship with God's creation. Thanks be to God. Amen.